0: Join us tonight. We are going to be starting a new study through the book of Titus. Really short book. We should be able to finish this up probably in three or four weeks. Uh, but we are going to start in the book of Titus tonight. So we're going to try to get through the whole chapter. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Titus. That's going to be in the New Testament, kind of toward the end of the New Testament. If you find any book that starts with a T, they're all right there together. Timothy, Titus, uh, Thessalonians. So if you find the T's in the New Testament, Uh, You're very close to where Titus is. So uh, we're going to just read through a verse or two at a time, uh, just kind of break it down and talk about what's going on in this book, and hopefully there are some things you and I can learn from it. So let's pray, and we'll dig into the text. God, we come to you, and we thank you for these words, and I pray that you would help us to learn and grow from them as we read them and study them tonight. I pray that you hide me behind the cross, that you just would humble me, dear Lord, and help me to be faithful to preach and teach in a way that's going to bring glory to you, And I pray that your Holy Spirit would just speak uh, through me and to each one of us, God, as we we try to understand your word tonight. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Titus chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. Titus 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To build up the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in hope of the eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. So here we are introduced to who is writing the book. It is Paul. Uh, Paul is writing this book to a guy named Titus. Now, Titus was someone who served alongside Paul uh, as they begin to do the work of the Lord and go to different places and begin to preach and teach to people and tell them the gospel message. Well, Titus was one of the ones uh, that was alongside Paul uh, in Paul's missionaries' journeys, as Paul would go from place to place, and there were people who were around him here and there, and some he would leave in one place, as we are going to see here with Titus. And Paul is the one who wrote this letter, uh, and its purpose is to build up those who were in Christ. So it says, Uh, That they will uh, continue to grow uh, in knowledge and the truth that leads uh, to godliness. So, Paul is is concerned with uh, that Christians continue to grow in the truth that they've received. That they don't just say, Okay, I've heard the gospel message, I believe the gospel message, and that's enough. Paul calls Christians uh, here, and as well as us today, to continue to learn and grow in the truth that we've received, to continue to grow in the knowledge of the truth that we've received of Jesus Christ, so that we are growing in him and growing to be more like him. And that's the the, the reason for all of Paul's work, and that's the reason for Paul uh, writing this letter, and this is something that we want to make sure uh, we are doing. We grow in the Lord by talking to him, by seeking him, by praying to him, by listening to him, and by reading his word. And the more we read God's word, the more God can begin to reveal to us and begin to speak to us. And the more we will learn and the more we will grow. And that comes from us seeking a closer relationship with him and seeking to grow in him. If we hear the gospel message, even if we believe it's true, but we're not uh, making an effort to grow in it, uh, then, then, then we are, we are shallow as Christians. We are, we are drinking milk as Paul would say, instead of moving on to solid, solid foods. We want to know the truth of the gospel. We want to know the basic main Bible stories that may be popular or may be taught to us, or we may hear more often. It's good to know and hear those things. But we want to dig into the deeper things of the Bible so we can grow deeper in all of what it says. And that's what Paul wants for these Christians uh, that, he's, that he's talking about here as he writes to Titus. And he says, look, we have a hope. Those of us who are in Jesus Christ, the ones who he wants to grow in truth and knowledge, our hope is in the Lord. Our hope is in the day that we are going to uh, be with him eternally. It says in the hope of eternal life that God who cannot lie promised before time began. And so our hope is in eternal life, which we will one day uh, receive. Once we leave this old world and we're with the Lord, we will be with the Lord for all of eternity. And that is what we hope for. That is the hope that drives us. That's what we grow in the Lord for. We hope for that day that eternal life will come. And we need to continue to seek the Lord and grow in his word and make sure that we are his and we are following him so that we have something to hope for. And that's something to hope for is eternal life, uh, where all of the pains and the sorrows and the sins and the aggravations of this world will be gone, and God himself will provide for us and be our Lord for all of eternity. Uh, let's move on to verse number three. In his own time, he has revealed his message in the proclamation that I was entrusted with by the command of God our Savior. Now, Uh, Paul had a pretty dramatic conversion experience. He was a guy who was an enemy of the Lord. He was seeking out Christians to persecute him and see that they were going to be arrested. Uh, He was an enemy of the gospel. But then Jesus Christ appeared to him one day on the road to Damascus, and in that moment, Paul's eyes were opened, and it was revealed to him the truth of the gospel message. And that's what he's talking about here. This message was revealed to him, and he is proclaiming this truth that was revealed to him by jesus christ once jesus came into paul's life that day it changed his life forever Uh, and we saw a man who was an enemy of the lord to be someone who was a child of the lord who was doing the lord's work and the same is true for you and i when we come to the lord in that instant our life should be changed should be changed for the better we should desire to proclaim the goodness of the lord now i'm not saying that we All are going to be gifted and have the ability in the same way that Paul did to go out and to evangelize and to preach and teach. Uh, We're not all gifted in that way, but we can proclaim the gospel message. We can proclaim the love of God just by our actions and how we interact with other people and how we are there for other people and how people see that we live our lives and the things that we do. Uh, These are ways that we can proclaim the truth of the gospel message, even if we're not all standing uh, on a pulpit, behind a pulpit somewhere, uh, preaching the word of God. Uh, There are lots of ways that we can proclaim the gospel message. That's what Paul was doing here. He was doing it maybe in a different way than some of us may do it. Uh, But we all, uh, I believe, uh, should be proclaiming uh, the Lord's love, and that should be seen through our actions and the way that we interact and love and treat uh, other people in the way that we live our life and the choices that we make in the things that we do. Let's read verse four. To Titus, my true son and our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Now here we see who the letter is written to. It's written by Paul. That's pretty clear. It's clear that Paul's an apostle of Jesus Christ. We see that here, that he wants to make sure people are growing in the truth and the knowledge of the Lord, the very Lord who appeared to him and revealed this truth to him, and he's writing this letter to Titus to give Titus some instruction on some things that Titus needs to do as he is also leading and trying to teach people about truth and knowledge. Uh, In particular, the people of Crete, uh, which is a small island uh, to the south of Greece, Uh, it's uh, mentioned a little later. We don't see it here at the beginning, but we will get into that a little later where it talks about that area. But the letter is written to Titus, who is an apostle of Jesus Christ alongside uh, Paul here. So let's kind of get into the meat of the of the book and see what the message is that Paul wants to give to Titus. Verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. As I directed you, Appoint elders in every town. So here we see the reason uh, for Paul's writing. We see where Titus is. Titus is in Crete. Titus is in Crete, uh, which is the island that's just in the Mediterranean Sea. It's south of Greece. A small little island, not very big, but this is where Titus was. And Paul says, Look, I left you there for a reason. There was work to be done there, and I left you there uh, so that you could appoint elders in every town. Now, we see the word elders here, and we're going to see the word uh, overseers here in a little bit, and we'll talk about that a little more once we uh, get to uh, a few verses down. But let's look at what the message was uh, that Titus was to, uh, what, what message Paul was giving to Titus and what he was supposed to be doing while he was there. He was supposed to be appointing elders. That would be leaders there, Christian leaders who could lead uh, the people in Crete who could lead the Christians in, in Crete, who could help uh, bring other people into the Christian faith, uh, lead other people to Jesus Christ. That was the uh, what these elders were to do. And it was Titus's job to appoint these elders, but he needed to make sure that he got good, uh, good men to be elders in these places. And here we see some of the things that Paul is about to tell him, the qualities that these elders should possess. Uh, let's read verse 6. One who is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of wildness or rebellion. For an overseer as God's administrator, must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not addicted to wine, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict. Now, we see the term elder that was used in verse 5, and we see the term overseer uh, that's used here in verse 7. Now, there's a couple of ways that we could look at this. It could be that these are two separate positions. These are two different groups of leadership uh, that that were used in, in throughout scripture, since we see these terms on a Few different occasions. These could be uh, two different terms for two different offices of leadership, or they could be one term that's used kind of interchangeably uh, for one office. Now, there's lots of different forms of church polity. That's a fancy word for saying church government or the structure of a church and how a church is run. And, and some of that comes from uh, these very words that we see here, uh, the elder and the overseer. Some of your translations may have bishop for, uh, for one of those terms. Uh, But when we see the term elder here, uh, it is the word uh, presbyteros, which uh, we get the word presbyter, Presbyterian Church, and that's one uh, form of church polity, uh, the way that church is done. Uh, The other word we see here, overseer, it comes from the Greek word episkopos, which uh, sounds a lot like episcopal. Uh, which is where that word comes from, which is also a type of, of church polity and church leadership. And you see uh, these different types of church leadership and, and church governments uh, and the way things are, are are handled in a church and the structure of a church, and we won't get into all that today, but, but these things that we see, these different forms of church governance, uh, they come from uh these different words or these positions that were in scripture and different uh different religious groups and denominations may interpret uh the way these structures should be a little differently uh and but some of that comes from uh verses like these now it really doesn't matter if we in this particular study Uh, if we determine whether these are two separate offices or the same office. They could be uh, the same person that Paul uses two separate words to describe. That is, an elder is an overseer. Or it could be that these are two separate positions that Paul is calling Titus to fulfill. Uh, Regardless of how we want to interpret that, uh, the, the core of what is being said here is the character of the one who is to be in leadership. There are certain qualities that one in leadership should or should not have. And Paul goes through and he looks and lists these qualities here. Let's look at what they are. One who is blameless. Now, uh, we have to be careful here because obviously uh, nobody is perfect. Uh, if we're looking for leaders in our churches, good Christian leaders who are perfect, well, we only look to Jesus because he is the only one who is perfect. Ultimately, that is who we look to. We always look to to Jesus above and beyond any any leaders we have in this world, but God does place leaders here among us even today. There are, there are elders, there are overseers, there are bishops, there are pastors, there are preachers, uh, there are these people that God uh, puts over his people to lead them and shepherd them, and that's an important thing, uh, but we always should look to Jesus. He should be uh, the one we look to. After all, he is the only one who is perfect. But when it comes to these human teachers that that we have, uh, they are to be blameless. Now it doesn't mean they're not they're they're going to be perfect and never going to do wrong. But when you look at someone, uh, you should be able to look at their life and say, "Hey, they're producing way more good fruit than they are bad fruit. Maybe there's a slip up here. Maybe there's a slip up here. But it shouldn't be a a repetitious." Uh, thing in their life. They shouldn't be repeating these things. If they are repeating sin, uh, then that's a problem. There, there, there shouldn't be patterns of sin uh, that, that, that keep taking place. In that sense, then someone is not really uh, ready for leadership or not qualified for leadership, and that may not be one that God wants to put in leadership. There may be things occasionally, even our our worldly leaders do, and maybe they repent of those things and it doesn't become a pattern of sin in their life. Uh, But there should be this, this blamelessness that's in them. It should be that when we look at our leaders, we look at them as good men and women of the Lord, not perfect men and women of the Lord, but good men of the Lord that are going to do the lord's work when we see people who have the opportunity to uh to teach and preach in this way we should look for men who are who are as Paul would call them blameless he says uh, the husband of one wife now we won't dig into this particular uh part of this passage in great detail but i will tell you that there are differences of opinion of opinion uh, even among Christians. There are some who would interpret this to be uh, a, a person in leadership uh, cannot be divorced, and that may be what Paul means here, uh, but the the phrase husband of one wife uh, is a little ambiguous, and it could mean simply you don't have two wives. That is, you're not married to more than one person at once. Now, I'm not swaying you uh, to one way or another here. I'm just simply telling you that there are Christians who would take this verse in different ways, uh, and there is some biblical support uh, maybe to support uh, both positions there as to what exactly uh, Paul may mean. Uh, but this is one of the qualifications he lists, and it could mean uh, a person in leadership should not be uh, a divorced person, or it could simply mean it should be someone who only has one wife and who is faithful Uh, to one wife. So uh, this requires much more discussion and study than we'll get into in this brief study, Uh, but there are different interpretations as to what Paul uh, could mean there. Uh, He goes on to say, having faithful children not accused of wildness and rebellion. And so uh, when we look to those who are going to be in leadership positions to the Lord, they should uh, have control of their family. There should be a good family life. Uh, if if you see that uh, their children are completely wild and crazy and rebellious, then uh, perhaps they're not qualified to uh, be a leader for the Lord because uh, the the actions of the children uh, may very well branch from things that go on in the home, things that uh, we may not see, uh, but we may get an indication based on the family, based on the children, based on the wife as to what kind of things are going on behind Close doors, And so Paul says here, look, when you see one who has a child who is wild and rebellious, then that person is not qualified to be an elder. Now that doesn't mean that every time we see uh, someone who has a child who is, who is wild and rebellious, that there are evil bad things going on uh, at home. Sometimes parents do a wonderful job and kids simply rebel. If you've ever been a teenager before, if you're an adult watching this, uh, you know that uh, when when the, the the teenage years come, that there seems to be this idea that maybe we know a little more than we do, and that we know more than our parents, and we're going to do what we want to do because we want to be cool. And sometimes even the best upbringing uh, is not going to guarantee that a child uh, is going to uh, always do what is right. And I would look at this kind of like I would look at this uh, at this. Uh, uh, idea of being blameless here. Uh, I don't think it would be fair for us to look at somebody and say, well, their kid did one bad thing, so they're they're out of the question for being a leader to the Lord. I, I believe it, uh, y- you may look at it in the same way, or at least I do, and I may be wrong there, but is there a pattern? Do they have multiple kids? Is there one child who is rebellious? Is there, is it that one of their children does something rebellious once or every once in a while, or is it a pattern where there's complete rebellion? Is there uh, multiple children and they're all acting in the same way? And so I think we have, to, uh, we have to maybe give a little leeway to what Paul is saying and not be too hard-nosed because, as I mentioned with being blameless, we will never find anyone who is blameless. And it's very likely that anyone who has a child, at some point in, that time, uh, in time, that child will do something uh, that is wrong that shouldn't be done. Uh, But we may need to look at how the parent handles that, how the child responds. Uh, Is this a one-time thing? Is this something that's not a pattern in the child's life? Uh, And so we need to, I believe, keep these things in mind when we are looking. Is this person qualified uh, for leadership? And these are the things that Paul says that we should look for. We should look for someone who's blameless. We should look for someone uh, who is the husband of one wife, and we should look for someone who has uh, faithful children that that don't live the wild life. And if we begin to see a lot of these things being checked off of the list here, uh, or we see a pattern of these things, a repeated pattern of these things that don't seem to be under control, then that should be an immediate red flag. Uh, We don't even have to read any of the rest of these to know, okay, this person is not qualified for leadership. Now, I'm not implying that those who may be guilty of these things are not Christian or are horrible, evil people. That's not... What Paul here is saying, he's just saying, look, they're not not the ones that need to be in a leadership position. Uh, They don't qualify uh, in in the way that God would desire them to. They don't live their life in a way uh, that they would be fit to uh, lead a group of Christians. So uh, that's just part of life. We're not all called to, uh, and we're not all able to uh, maybe fulfill some of these things that Paul lists out here, uh, and that's okay Uh, but just because we're not in a leadership position doesn't mean that we're not Christians. We are very much Christians if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, but the requirements for those who lead are higher and should be higher uh, for the importance and significance of what is being done. All right, let's read a little further in verse 7. For an overseer as God's administrator must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not addicted to wine, not a bully, Not greedy for money. Now, here's a whole list of things here uh, that are important that we look at. Uh, The first of which it says must be blameless. Now, this is a repeat to what he said before. Now, this may give some argument to well, he repeats the same thing for an overseer that he did for a deacon, or excuse me, for an elder. Uh, so maybe he's speaking of a of a different position here. Well, he may be, uh, but the requirements here uh, are, are are suitable for those who are going to be uh, a leader of of God's people. And it says that they must not be arrogant, uh, not think too highly of themselves, not think that they are the the end all be all that their way is the best, and they don't care about other people and they look down on other people. Uh, we God doesn't want there to be leaders who have that kind of arrogance. He said, not hot temper. You don't want someone who's going to be a leader who is going to have a temper that at the least little thing, they are going to go full speed into angry mode. Uh, We we want to be careful. Uh, That's not going to be helpful for God's people. That's what Paul is telling Titus these things for. These are not the kind of leaders that God's people needs. He goes on to say, not addicted to wine. Okay, well that's pretty simple too, like not being hot-tempered. You don't want someone who is a drunkard. You want someone who has a clear mind, who is able and capable to think clearly and lead others clearly. So not being addicted to wine, not a bully. Uh, It may be common that when we see people in, in positions of power, whether in the church or outside the church, that sometimes people may begin to bully other people to get their way and to do what they want to do. Uh, Well, that's not a good quality for a leader of God to have. Uh, We shouldn't bully people around. Uh, Leaders that serve the Lord are shepherds to God's people, and we should shepherd God's people in a way that shows love, not in a way uh, that, 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 that bullies them into doing things that maybe sometimes the leader wants to do. When it may not at all be what God desires for his people, it may simply be the desire of the leader. So you don't want people who are going to bully those who uh, he is over uh, to do things that are not godly and good things. It goes on to say, not greedy for money. This is obviously something the Bible talks about often. Uh, We don't want to have people in leadership position who love money and who seek money because Ultimately, money becomes the God, and it's not about doing God's work. It's about how can I get more money? How can I get more money coming into the church? How can I get more money uh, coming into my pocket? And pretty soon, uh, they aren't preaching the gospel, uh, at least not uh, in the way that it should be preached. They are simply preaching in a way that's going to bring more money to them. Now, these are obvious things that we should look at and say, of course we don't want leaders who are going to be guilty of these things. These are not good qualities to have. Now, these are definitely not good qualities for a leader, but they're also not good qualities for any Christian. Uh, Don't watch this and say, well, praise the Lord, I'm not a leader because I got all these things and I don't want to change. Well, if we see, even if you're not in a leadership position in ministry to lead God's people, if you see these things in your life, these are not good things. To be arrogant and hot-tempered and greedy All of these are bad things, and these are things that we should keep in check. Uh, We shouldn't say, well, I'm not a leader, so praise the Lord, I don't have to do those things. Actually, we do. Uh, We all do those things, not because we want to be in a leadership position for the Lord, but because we are God's people, and those are the things that God calls us to do. All right, verse 8, he follows up uh, after not greedy for money. In verse 8, he says, but hospitable, loving what is good sensible, righteous, holy, and self-controlled. So we should be just the opposite of, of greedy for money here. We should be hospitable uh, to people we see. We should be giving to people we see. We should want to help people we see, not try to get it all in for ourselves, but be hospitable uh, and approachable, uh, that when people see us, they they feel love. They are glad to see us. They, 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 they feel encouraged. Uh, because we are coming and we are bringing the love of God uh, with us. That's what leaders of the Lord should do. That's what people should see. Uh, they should love what is good. Well, if you see someone who loves what is bad, well, guess what? They're not qualified to be a leader. It's just that simple. Sensible. Uh, this is uh, this is a good one. Uh, God's leaders should be sensible. It, it kind of goes along with... Uh, being a hot-tempered, not somebody who's going to fly off and and be illogical or irrational about things that need to be dealt with among God's people, but someone who is sensible, that thinks about what's going on, that tries to uh, 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 understand why things are taking place, and comes up with a sensible solution that's going to be the best for God's people. Uh, Righteous, uh, one who is seeking the Lord, one who is right by the Lord, one who is trying to live by the Lord's standard, one who is doing the right things, one who we can look at and say, hey, they are living a godly life. That's what a leader should possess, that quality. Holy, self-controlled. Self-control is an important thing, not just for the leader, but for any of us who are Christians. We need self-control. There are times that we're tempted to do things that are wrong and bad, And we need to say, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give in to that. As tempting as it may be, I'm going to control my desires here and I'm going to do what is right. This is an important quality for a leader. In verse 9, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict him. Now, for the leader, they need to hold on to the faith, the message that they were taught, the message of Jesus Christ. Why? Well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, so that they will be able to encourage with sound teaching. Uh, A leader that God calls to be a leader, a leader that's over God's people, needs to be someone who can encourage God's people with sound teaching. They're not deviating from the truth. They're not intermingling things that, that aren't part of God's words in there. They they are preaching and teaching the truth of God's word and they are encouraging God's people. Uh and and we all need to be encouraged. There are times that we get depressed, there are times that we get overwhelmed with sin, and there are times that we need to be encouraged. Now, there are also times that uh that, that we need to be rebuked too, and that's also, as we see in scripture, part of the job of, of the leader, part of the job of the pastor. There are times that we need to be encouraged, and there are times uh, that we need to be rebuked. And these are good qualities for our leader to have. These are qualities a leader must have. They must be strong in the faith. They must uh, be able to be an encouragement uh, for God's people. And they must, it says, be able to refute those who contradict the truth of God's message. And so uh, you want someone who's going to be able to understand God's word, and when attacks come, and they do come on us all the time, we we may see them on TV or read them in a book or even have people in uh, face-to-face that we encounter uh, that begin to uh, try to attack God's word. Well, when it comes to leaders, they need to know God's word enough and understand God's word enough and be able to sensibly uh, be able to Refute these attacks on God's word, so that they can rightly lead God's people. When attacks come, or when things are being said in the world, uh, you need a leader that says, "Nope, this is the this is what God's word said, and this is the way we need to go." And here's why, and be able to explain in Scripture. Here's why this attack that's coming on us is not true. Here's why this part of God's word is not contradictory, but something we should be living by and something we should be doing. And that's one of the qualities that a leader should have. And Paul goes through and he's listed a bunch of qualities that leaders should have. And he's telling Titus, hey, look look for elders and overseers to serve there in Crete, but make sure they have these qualities so they'll be good leaders and not bad leaders. Let's read a little further. Verse 10. For there are also many rebellious people, full of empty talk and deception especially those from Judaism it is necessary to silence them they overthrow whole households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly now he talks about the need for good leaders and then he goes on to say look there are a lot of bad leaders out there there are a lot of people who are who are teaching a lot of bad things and in particular he calls out uh, those from Judaism that is the jews the jews were teaching people things That were not godly things. Now we see Paul addressing the Jews quite frequently uh, throughout the rest of Scripture because there is this temptation among the Jewish people to go back to their old ways and follow what Moses said, uh, not realizing or not wanting to accept. That Jesus is the new way. He is the new covenant. He is the better way, and we are to follow what Jesus says, not what Moses said. Moses is not our savior. Jesus Christ is our savior. And many of the Jews uh, failed to recognize or failed to accept that Jesus was the savior of the world, and they continued to teach uh, and preach uh, false, false teachings that were uh, were enslaving the people to the power of the law and the power of sin. Uh, but what what Jesus came to do was free us from that. And that's what we see uh, uh, taught constantly in the book of Galatians, the whole books about it, and the book of Hebrews, that was the problem there, Jewish people wanting to turn back to their old ways. And Paul says here, look, there are many people who are deceiving others with the things that they're teaching, and particularly uh, the Jews. And he says in verse 11, it is necessary to silence them. They overthrow house overthrow whole households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money. Now these false teachers are coming in and they're, they're teaching all kind of things that are, that are false, that are leading people astray. And Paul says that it is necessary to silence them. Uh, and the same is true for us. In our culture, every culture of the world throughout all of time, there are always going to be people who are going to be preaching a message that's opposed to different than uh, arguing with uh, the truth that is the gospel. And we need to be ready as Christians to try to silence those people. Now, we don't silence them by acting a fool. Uh, We don't silence them uh, by attacking them, by knocking them in the head. That's not what he means when he says that we silence them. We silence them by coming back at them with the truth of the gospel. Uh, these that he's talking about here were going into Crete, and they were preaching a false message. And so Titus was to make li- uh, get leaders ready uh, and 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 send them into Crete. And Titus himself was to go and to preach the truth of the gospel. And that was how they were going to silence uh, all of these false teachings that were going that, that were going on, because they were going to bring in uh, the truth. And it says that they overthrow whole households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money. Now, obviously, these people who are teaching these false things, they don't care about any kind of truth. They don't care about the people that they're reaching. They care about money, which is why Paul told Titus earlier, look, a leader should not be one who is greedy and looking for money. That's what these people were doing. They were preaching and teaching whatever they could so that they could get money. Now, that's no different than our world today. There are many people throughout the history of the world and will be until Jesus returns that are going to preach and teach for their own gain. They're going to say just the right things so that people will give them more and more money so that they can fill their pockets. Not so that they can do more of the Lord's work. They are simply concerned about their needs and they will say anything they can. They will get as many people to follow them as they can because the more people who are coming, then the more uh, money's going to be coming in, and that really is the main focus. These are not uh, men who are doing God's work. These are people who are doing their own work. They are filling their own pockets. They're not teaching truth. Uh, There may be some truth in what they say. Maybe not everything they say is a lie. They may quote some scriptures, and they may even preach and teach them accurately, but there's and some people, uh, a, a a a little twist that comes here and there uh, to put a burden on people to send in more money, to give more money, and that's what was going on here. There was teaching that was going on so that they could uh, take money, dishonestly it says, uh, from these people who they were preaching the message to. And it was causing disorder among whole households, as Paul says, among the people of Crete. And Titus says, look, or excuse me, Paul says to Titus, look, You must silence these people. You have to get elders and overseers. You have to get them out there. You have to get them ready. You have to get good men who can go out there and who can preach the truth and who can defend the faith and who can go out there and silence these other people who are coming with all their nonsense that the people can hear and know what is true and know that what these others are saying is false. And that's what Paul is writing this letter to Titus for. Verse 12. One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, so rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of men who reject the truth. Now, when he says one of their very own prophets said, he's talking about uh, someone from Crete, a prophet from Crete from the Cretan people, uh, said the following statement that we just read in the passage. Now, depending on your translation, it may spell that out for you. If you have a dynamic excuse me a dynamic equivalence translation uh, like the NIV uh, then it, it then it helps give you that there. It tells you that one of the Cretans uh, wrote this about their very own. Uh, Most of the translations don't say that, but we kind of figure out from the context here that when he says one of their very own, he's talking about, look, even somebody from Crete recognizes how bad the people of Crete are. Well, how bad are they? they?" Well, it says that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. So, uh, Titus had his work cut out for him here. These people were uh, doing a lot of rotten, uh, sinful things, uh, and on top of all the things they were doing, There were false teachers who would come in, and so Titus has his work cut out for him. And Paul agrees with this statement that this Cretan person made. He says, look, in verse 13, this testimony is true, so rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Now, he says, look, these people are like this, so you are going to have to rebuke them sharply. You're going to have to come at them, and you're going to have to be stern with them, and you're going to have to give them the truth so that they'll listen to you, so that they'll pay attention to you and not the Jewish people that are coming in with their myths and their commands, that these are ones who Paul says reject the truth, speaking of these Jewish people. And so he says, look, Titus, you have to go in there. You have to get leaders with you that are strong men of God that are going to be able to go in and preach the truth so that people will do what is right and follow the truth and not pay attention to these deceitful lies that are destroying uh, the island, that are just destroying the island of Crete and the people there. So Paul is trying to reach these people, and he knows he has his work cut out for him. That's why, as we saw earlier in the book, he says, that's why I left you in Crete, Titus, because there is work to be done there. Let's read a little further in verse 15. To the pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. Now, for those who are already in Jesus Christ, they are pure in him. But for those who are not, that are still living in sin, well, they are still defiled. That was true of the people of Crete, and that's true of you and I. If we've put ourselves in Jesus Christ, and we're faith, our faith is in him, and we're following him, then we are made pure. But if you're still living in your sin, then you are defiled. You you're not thinking straight. Not even uh, your mind and your conscience. You're not you're not convicted in the same way as one who is following Jesus Christ. Your mind thinks things sound right even when they're not right because uh, we are living in darkness when we don't have Jesus Christ. And so if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, you're living in darkness today. Your mind, things that, that you think are rational, are not rational because your mind is blinded uh, by, by sin. Now, all of us are this way. Every one of us uh, is this way until we come to Jesus Christ. When we come to Jesus Christ, our eyes are open. We see the light. We begin, our, 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 our consciousness are changed. Our minds are changed. And we say, whoa, I never realized how bad that thing was that I was doing. Everybody who's ever come to Jesus Christ has come to that realization. Once our eyes are opened, once we get out of the darkness and we get into the light, we used to think irrationally before Christ. But in Christ, we now see clearly. We understand things and they make sense to us in a whole different way. And that's what Paul says here. Look, those who are in Jesus Christ are pure. But those who are not, those who are unbelieving, they are defiled. Well, Paul doesn't just want to leave them defiled. He wants uh, Titus to do the work so that Titus can, can shed the light on them, show them the light so that they can hear the truth and they can come to Jesus Christ. Let's read the last verse here, verse 16. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and disqualified for any good work. Now, this is pretty strong language here, and these that he's talking about, he says they profess to know God. Now, whether they profess to know the God, or whether they just pre- profess to know a God, I don't know. There are lots of people in the world who profess to know God, uh, but it's a false God. It's not the God that we worship, not God the Father of Jesus Christ. There are many who profess to know God, and there are even some who have heard the gospel message and know of Jesus Christ and who know of God the Father and who profess to know him, but their works and their actions and their life doesn't show that. Paul says here, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. If we profess to know God, then our works must show it. If we profess to know God and we continue to do evil works, then guess what? We are denying the very fact that we are gods by The things that we do, by the way that we act, by the fruit that we produce. If we are continually and constantly producing bad fruit and there's no conviction or repentance of our sin, then we are a bad tree, as the Bible would say. And I think that's the same type of thing that Paul's saying here. Look, these people profess to know God, but they can profess it all they want to because their works show otherwise. Their works do not show them to be good fruit, but rather, their work show them to be bad fruit. As a result, it says they are detestable, disobedient, and disqualified for any good work. And so, these are pretty strong, uh, pretty strong uh, words that Paul uh, is using here to talk about what Timothy, or excuse me, what Titus is up against uh, with these people in Crete. But to get them back on track, Paul said, "What it's going to take is it's going to take." good, strong Christian men who can go in there and be leaders, who are strong in the faith and who can lead the people, who can encourage the people, who can rebuke the people, who can teach the people, who can defend the faith. And the same has not changed even to this day. We still need good Christian leaders leading us. And let us pray that God would put good Christian leaders in our path, wherever uh, we may go to church, wherever we may be taught things, that we are hearing things that are truth, that we are being taught truth, that we are not being led astray by lies, because there are lots of people in this world who will preach and teach lies, who will preach and teach a lot of things. We are going to encounter them. But the way that we stand up to those things is to know the truth. Here's the truth of the gospel. We are to put our faith in Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who died for us and gave his life so that our sins could be forgiven. We are to love God and we are to love people. That is the truth of the gospel. That is the truth that we want to get out. That is the truth that we want to live by, that we put our faith in Jesus, that we love God, and that we love people. I believe that that's what the Bible calls us to. If we do those things then we are going to fulfill all that God requires of us. All that God desires of us are fulfilled in that way. That's the message that we need to be putting out. Not a bunch of hoops that people have to jump through. uh, Not a bunch of uh, making people feel uh, condemned. uh, Not a bunch of making people feel like they need to give more money. They need to do this. They need to do that. Not any of those things, but simply to give them the truth of the gospel to put our faith in Jesus Christ, to love God and to love people. It's just that simple. Now the truth of the gospel hurts because part of the truth of the gospel is that we are sinners, is that some of the things that we do and some of the things that we think are sinful things. And we need to turn from those things. And we are evil people. And we may not like to think that, but that's the truth of the gospel. That's the truth of God's word. And many people, will avoid God's word for that reason because they don't want to hear the hard truth. They don't want to admit that they are sinners. They don't want to turn from their sinful ways because they love their sin more than they love the Lord. And so as a result, they attack God's word. But we must stand on guard to know that God's word is good and it is true. And yes, sometimes it is hard. Even for those of us who are Christians, it's hard and it's convicting when we read things and say, whoa, I'm guilty of that. I'm an evil sinner. Well, that's not a good feeling that anybody wants to have, but praise the Lord through Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven if we put our faith and trust in it. And so we need to know the gospel message. We need to know the message of grace, which is beautiful, but we also need to know the message that talks about all those things that, hey, these are sinful things and you shouldn't do these things. You should turn from these things. It's all part of the message. And if we hear that message, and we accept that message, and by faith we follow Jesus Christ, then we do receive grace, and we are forgiven of those things. And that's the message of the gospel, that we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we turn from our sinful ways, that we love God, and that we love others. That's it. That's the message that we need to preach. That's the message that Paul wanted Titus to get out. That's how he was going to going to defend the faith. That's how he was going to silence those who were coming uh, and speaking evil, sinful things and getting people led astray. They were going to fight all of the evil with the truth of the gospel. And the same is true for you and I. When people come and people attack us, we don't have to attack back. We simply stand by the word of God. We speak the word of God and people will either accept the word of God and live by it or they will reject the word of God but we cannot control that. We can only control that we give them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and point them to Jesus Christ and nothing else. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and I thank you for these good words and I pray that you just would uh, use them in our lives, that we would learn from them and, and live by them and grow in them, dear Lord. I pray that we would grow in truth and knowledge, that we would continue to know your words. God, I pray that you'd put good leaders in our path, God, Men that are going to hold these qualities that we have read about tonight, that they are going to uh, be men that are going to stand up for you and know your word and live by your word, God, and, and uh, are righteous and holy, God, and that raise uh, holy families and that, uh, that lead their, their, their own houses in a way, dear Lord, that's going to bring glory to you. And God, I pray that you would put good leaders in our path, good Christian leaders all around our world, dear Lord, to lead people just as Titus was to lead. God, I pray that you would give us good leaders like Titus that can uh, get us back on the right track and uh, uh, help us to be focused on you, dear Lord, and help us as Christians to live by you. God, these things that you call leaders to do, these qualities, they're not just for them. There are are lots of these things, God, all of these things that that we all need to do if we're yours. So I pray, God, that we would do those things, be on guard against false teachings, and not give in to the lies that maybe some may teach, but that we stand firm on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and do our best to to proclaim that truth to all we encounter. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvn at me.com can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on facebook at facebook.com slash ebc liberty we hope that you have been blessed by today's service